We are going to read from God's Word now, and we've got Bob Fountain, who's uh, recorded the Bible reading for us, so we're going to uh, cross over to Bob now. Hello, everyone at church. I'm Bob. Lyndall and I send our greetings to you today. I'm going to be reading from the Old Testament of the Bible, from 1 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to be starting at verse 1. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hands of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day... The Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them back into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel 
were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighbouring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a great privilege uh, to be able to join with you in your lounge rooms uh, this morning. Um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to open up uh, God's word. And yeah, it's actually my first time uh, here on the live stream for Lockdown 2.0. Hopefully you're all doing okay. Hopefully you're all um, kind of safe. Um, if you're not okay, then please do reach out to us. Uh, but as we start to look into God's word, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, set all our hearts and our minds this morning as we come to your word. Lord, free us of distraction that we might use this opportunity to be attentive to you and to what you have to reveal to us in your word. Father, open our ears to hear the truth of your word. Amen. There's a lot going on at this moment, isn't there? Uh, COVID and, and the isolation brought about due to the lockdown, it really has heightened uh, that sense of uncertainty in our lives. But at the same time, it's not as though life was necessarily easy prior to COVID. I'm sure many of you had stresses and concerns long before COVID. But in these uncertain times, it's helpful to ask ourselves the question, where does your security lie? In a time of confusion and worry, that's a really good question to be asking ourselves. You know, is your security tied to your job and, and the kind of wealth and prestige and status that that brings? Well, the thing is, jobs come and go. Right now, lots of people are losing their jobs because of the downturn in the economy. Do you place your security in your health? Again, illness, bad health can strike at any time. And I think when you're younger, you often take good health for granted. But as the years go on, ill health tends to be a part of the natural aging process. Is your security in a vaccine? Is Pfizer or AstraZeneca that thing that you're going to place all your security and hopes in? I think if you've heard the news reports recently from the government, then you could be excused for thinking that that would indeed be the case. But here's the thing. We had hospitals long before COVID. There's so many other things that can strike us down. Look, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm really grateful that there is a vaccine for COVID. I'm really grateful that right here in Australia, we have access to this vaccine and that we can get protected. 
But I know that even apart from COVID, there will always be things in life that will shake the foundations. Maybe you're more of a concrete person who puts your security in physical things. Your house, maybe. You know, that castle that you can invest in and you know will always be there despite the troubles going on around you. Well, right now, it's all fine and well if you own your own home, but the way the market's going, there's so many people um, that won't even get an opportunity to purchase their own home. So if your home is your security and you're locked out of even having that, then where does that leave you? In times of turmoil and confusion, asking the question of where you place your security is of key importance. And as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 7, we see like, uh, Israel likewise facing this uncertainty. Why was Israel's situation so uncertain? Well, for one, their leaders had failed them. So remember back to Eli. Um, he kind of did an okay job in part. He did raise Samuel after all. But his sons, his sons were terrible. In chapter 2, Hophni and Phinehas, remember, they were described to us as scoundrels. And it's such a spot-on and brilliant description of the pair. Because they were Israel's leaders, and yet they had a complete and utter disregard for God and for his honor. They were greedy and they abused the position of power that they were given. And when Israel's leaders are like that, then you've got to have real concerns for the nation as a whole. Aside from that, Israel was also spiritually confused. And it's likely that the poor leadership played a big part into that confusion and apathy. But it's clear that Israel did not know how to relate to God. I mean, that much is clear from their attitude to the ark of the Lord. So after being captured by the enemy, upon its return, Israel just don't know what to do with the ark of the Lord. So look at 1 Samuel 7, verse 1 and 2. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim a long time. 20 years in all. You know what that's saying? Israel essentially took the ark of God and placed it in quarantine, not just for two weeks or even two months, but 20 whole years. This was the ark that signified the covenantal relationship that God had with his people, that God would be their God and that they would be his people. Israel, by casting away the ark of God to Kiriath-Jerim, they're essentially saying to God, we don't want anything to do with you. We're fine as it is. You just keep to yourself over there. Just stay out of our lives. I just look at that and think, what a shame. What a waste. Such a disappointment. You know, I've been catching a bit of the Olympics recently, as I'm sure many of you have as well. It's one of the 
few events that are still on at this time. Uh, and I was watching the 100 metres the other day, uh, and there was this moment that left me feeling so, so sorry for the runner. Uh, so here's a picture of that moment. Uh, and the runner's name is Divine Oduduru. And that black and white card um, that's displayed for him there indicates that he's been disqualified uh, from the race. So imagine that. Here's this guy who's been training nonstop, you'd imagine, for five whole years. He gets to the Olympics and after all that hard work, because his kind of muscles twitched a little bit early and because he's moved a smidgen before he should have, then his race is over. Five years of hard work just out the window. What utter disappointment. But talk about disappointment. Um, Israel, how tragic was it for them? The God who had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, the God who had provided for them all those years in the desert, the God who had looked after them time and time again, who had been with them throughout their history, Israel had now abandoned. There were so many issues and problems for Israel during this time. And alongside the bad leadership and the spiritual confusion, you could throw in that minor problem of the Philistines. So the Philistines, they neighbored Israel, and so they were a constant threat. God had subdued them in the past, um, and that by all his own doing. But this was now 20 years later, and so the threat of the Philistines uh, grew stronger by the day. But the thing is, it's not all doom and gloom uh, for Israel's because as readers of 1 Samuel, we know that God has been working behind the scenes. We know that God has chosen Samuel uh, to lead his people. He is the bright light in an otherwise dark situation. So have a listen to what Samuel says to the people. Uh, look along from verse 3. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their baals and asterisks and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. From what we know of Samuel, it's hardly surprising uh, that we see him kick into gear as this godly leader who would help Israel relate with God rightly again. Here we see him act as prophet, priest, and judge all rolled into one. As prophet, he called the people back to the God that they had forsaken. As priest, he would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And in verse 9, as judge, he would lead the people and administer justice in accordance with God's word. So what was Samuel's message? Well, the core of his message was a message of repentance. 
are turning back to God from godless ways. That's all repentance means in the Bible. Turning away from a wrong and harmful way of relating to God and back to him who cares and loves us. But let's unpack a little more about what repentance looks like according to Samuel. So the first thing to say about repentance is that repentance includes returning. Samuel calls on the people of God to return to God with all their hearts. See, Samuel had been, uh, sorry, Israel had been away from God in their hearts. You know, physically they'd removed him and placed the ark in quarantine, but in their hearts they had wandered as well. They had forged a way of life that was separate to God, um, separate to the God who had served them so well in the past. They were far from God, but Samuel's call to the people was to return, turn back to God. And it was more than just a feeling sorry for, for themselves. Darn it, we've, we've done the wrong thing again. Yes, sorrow is a right response to sin and rebellion against God. But repentance would have us take that sorrow and bring it before God, trusting that he would deal with it for us. Repentance also um, involves putting away. For Israel, they had taken on the lifestyle of the Canaanites. They had followed their ways and, and their gods. Repentance for Israel, including a putting away of idols, of the idols and practices of the nations around them. They were God's people, separate and distinct from those around them. And instead of shining a light to the glory of God, they had enmeshed themselves with the enemies of God. Genuine repentance for them included a clearing out of all that was ungodly and sinful. And repentance isn't only about actions. It's also a matter of the heart. Samuel calls on the people to return to the Lord with all their hearts. He calls them to commit to the Lord and to serve him alone. Samuel is calling for a heart and attitude to God that is undivided in wanting to seek him out. See, the, Israel, the Israelites had God on the periphery and they just weren't that into him. At best, they were half-hearted when it came to God and that was a massive slap in the face for him. The last thing that Samuel points Israel's attention to are the promises of God. If Israel returned to God, if they rid themselves of their idols, if they set their hearts on God and serve him only, then he would deliver them out of the hands of the Philistines, their enemies. Samuel is drawing their attention to the promise that God has laid out for them. Godly repentance involves moving away from the promises of wealth and safety and prosperity that the world affirms and trusting in the promises that God has laid before his people. Samuel calls on the people to repent and turn back to God. And this time around, they res respond rightly to God and acknowledge all their wrongdoing.
And as Israel is gathered together all, all in one place at Mizpah, the Philistines, they, they sense an opportunity to attack. And where previously Israel would have trusted in their own strength or used the ark as a bit of a magic charm, this time they get it right and they turn to God. As the Philistines begin to encroach on the Israelites, they call on Samuel to not stop crying out to the Lord for us on their behalf. God hears their cries and the whole Philistine army is routed that day. Israel turns back to God in repentance and faith and God honours his promise to deliver them from their enemies. What about yourself? Do you need to repent before God? Have you ignored him? Have you turned away from him? Maybe you've dismissed or quarantined God off into some dark corner of your life. Now is the time to turn back to him. God is calling you back to himself. That was the message of Jesus and his apostles, wasn't it? Look at what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn back to God, he says. Put your trust in Jesus because in him is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has won freedom for us by his work on the cross. And as he bears the penalty for sin, he defeats all our great enemies of sin, Satan and death. Jesus fulfills God's promise to redeem humanity by being the instrument by which righteousness would be achieved. Are you willing to turn back to God today? Because God is calling you back to himself. Now, I wonder if you've uh, ever seen this sign before. Almost caught you out there, didn't I? Uh, you kind of don't want to see this sign, right? Uh, because if you are out on the road and you do see this sign, then it means trouble. Uh, because there's likely going to be a motor vehicle or a semi-trailer coming the other way. And unless you spin around, then it's going to be all over. But that's kind of our situation. See, we're speeding down the road in the wrong direction and the only outcome is disaster and destruction. And we need to chuck a Yui quick smart. That's what repentance is. Recognizing that we've gone the wrong way from God, bringing that before him and then turning back to him and his son, Jesus. Will you repent today because the consequences of not repenting will be dire and indeed eternal. Now back to the Sam, uh, story of Samuel. Uh, after some very patchy moments, by the end of chapter 7, Israel has reached a bit of a high point. Israel realized that it wasn't a great military leader or a brilliant political tactician that would grant them the security that they needed. All they needed was a leader like Samuel who would bring them back into a right relationship with God. Now, if things ended there, 
then it would be all good and rosy. But I guess from what we know of Israel's history, then we could be excused for thinking that this optimism of hope might not necessarily last. Now we're going to go to our second Bible reading now. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, and Robin's going to read that for us. Hello, I'm Robin Kushkiri. My family and I, we're looking forward to seeing you all in person soon. We're reading chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will, rule who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the, that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town.
Hey, thanks, Robin. Uh, yeah, so a, a fair amount of time has passed since the events of 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, we're told that Samuel has grown old, and it's this key bit of information that will put the safety and security of Israel to the test once again. Uh, Samuel's solution to his impending retirement is to appoint his sons, Joel and Abijah, to serve as many judges under him towards the region of Beersheba to the south. And this is where things start to go terribly wrong for Israel once again. So look at verse 3. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Sound familiar? A leader of God and his two wayward sons. Yep, you guessed it. We've, we've seen it all before, haven't we? We've seen it with Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. So while there are differences between Samuel and Eli, uh, this new situation with Samuel's sons would rightly have left Israel feeling very, very nervous. Last time they endured wicked and perverted leadership, it led to a devastating defeat at the hand of the Philistines as well as a complete and utter breakdown in Israel's relationship with God. And so with this concern in mind, the, Israel, the, the leaders of Israel bring their concerns to Samuel. So verse 5, they said to him, you are old. It's kind of telling as it is. Um, Samuel, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Israel is placing all its hopes for renewed security in a king who would lead them, in a king like all the other nations have. Uh, Samuel takes this personally, perhaps as a critique of his own inadequacies, but God has a different view of this request. Let's see verse 7. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. God is saying to Samuel that with this request, it's not Samuel that they're rejecting, but rather that they've rejected God himself. And that's what they've done all throughout their history. In the face of a renewed threat to their security, rather than turning back to God, they instead seek to forge a path on their own once again. Give us a king like all the other nations. And God's assessment of that request is that it's a clear rejection of God on Israel's behalf. And it's not necessarily the request for a king itself that's bad. Indeed, Moses himself uh, predict, predicts a time when kingly rule would indeed be the governance structure um, for the people of God. Uh, he speaks about that back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And so while the request for a king might not necessarily be wrong per se, it's the manner and attitude in which the request that's made which really angers God. 
Israel want a king like the nations. And in verse 20, we're told, one who would lead them and go out before them and fight their battles. But I thought God was the one who did that for Israel. In the previous chapters, God has clearly demonstrated that he and he alone is the king of kings. He's shown he's powerful and mighty and able to defeat all his enemies. And that's all without the help of any other person or any other thing. He can do it and did do it all on his own. And what's more, the the people want a king like the nations around them. But hold on, I thought Israel was supposed to be a holy nation, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19. Israel was called to be holy, set apart, distinct, separate from the nations around them. But here their desire is to be like the nations. It's another huge slap in the face for God. To be like the nations isn't just some sort of emerging or getting along with the nations around them. It's an outright rejection of God's rule on their lives. We want to go it alone. We're going to establish security based on our terms. We'll forge our own path. That sort of attitude just smacks of arrogance. But it's an attitude that we often adopt when it comes to God. It's all right, God. I know you've got some thoughts on the idea, but I think I know a little bit better. Things are a bit out of control right now, but I've got it covered. Now, the surprising thing in Samuel is that God allows Israel to get what they want. He allows them to have a king like the nations, but not before spelling out for them the nature of this king's rule and the sorts of living conditions that they will need to deal with. Now, we don't have time to go over the details right now, but a quick glance at verses 11 to 17 give a decent idea of what life will be like um, under this king. Notice that word that gets repeated over and over again. Take. Take. That is what the king will do for Israel. He will take their sons and daughters to serve in his army. He will take their land. He will take their food. He will take and take and take. To which Israel says, yeah, yeah, yeah. It might not be the ideal situation, but it's a necessary evil for us getting our own way and achieving military and political security. And I just think it's such a sad state of affairs when we see Israel placing their hopes and security on this authoritarian dictator king, as opposed to the God who had loved them and cared for them so well. But what about you? Where does your security lie? Is it in the stuff that you've accumulated? Is it in a relationship? It could be any number of things. I want to suggest to you this morning that God and he alone is the one in whom we should place our security. Because we will always have turmoil. We will always have strife. 
Life will always be out of control. But God is the one true constant who always acts in love and kindness towards his people. He's demonstrated that time and time again that he is both willing and able to sort things out. Uh, He did it for Israel and sadly they rejected him. He does it for us and we see it overwhelmingly so in Jesus. See, where human kings take and take and take, Jesus, as God's king, gave and gave and gave. The Mark 10.45, it's a famous verse. Listen to what it says. For even the Son of Man, so that's Jesus talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave of himself when it would have been entirely appropriate for others to wait on him. Jesus gave up his position in heaven with the Father to become a man. And he did this so that he might pay the ransom or the price for the sins of the world. He did this because he knew that there was no other way by which we could be made right with God. Jesus gave up his life for you and for me. Now that is a king worth following. Today, God is calling you back to himself. You know, you might not have had anything to do with God for a very long time. You might have done things and said things and thought things that you know in your heart of hearts um, are wrong and that you're ashamed of. There is cleansing and forgiveness available to you. Today, hear God's call. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. Jesus offers forgiveness for all who believe in him. Come back to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to recognize here today that we have not lived our lives in accordance with your will. Father, we have sinned against you, and for that we are deeply sorry. Father, as we turn back to you, help us to put off those things that get, us, get in the way of us properly worshipping and honouring you. Lord, change us by your Spirit. Move within our hearts that we might live in genuine, heartfelt devotion to you. Father, thank you most of all for the promise of forgiveness and new life that we have in Jesus. Amen.